This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Scab Talk, an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we continue to focus on development of the game, patch note analysis, theory crafting, and general gameplay discussions. My name is Church. I am one of your hosts. I am a video editor for Airwing Marine and Rock Mom. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm Gigabeef, a Tarkov YouTuber, helping you guys get better at the game. Well, hopefully, anyway. So, so- Church has thrown me off with changing the intro for the first time in, like, forever. Um, <laughs> and I was <laughs> with no prior warning. So, anyway, welcome back to today's show, everybody. And today we are... We are joined by the illustrious Tower, um, who is a a man of many talents and is a significant contributor to the Tarkov scene, although many people may not actually know his name up front, which, I mean, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself, Tower, but from, from my perspective, I didn't know of you for quite a while, I would say, despite despite your work overlapping with a lot of the things that I've become interested in. Um so thank you so much for joining us honestly the the amount of i I think the the number of like people that you kind of have got involved with over over the years has been um has been pretty nuts and a lot of people rely on you for a bunch of cool stuff so let me allow allow yourself just to you know introduce like what you do and kind of what your specialities are and like how how you you know i guess how you got into tarkov and and all of that kind of stuff is usually a good place to start at least all right uh well hi i'm tower like they said um, and really, my speciality is kind of just giving the deep dive into Tarkov. Um, I typically just kind of sit down and pick through stuff and kind of work from there. Um, a lot of people make my work sound a lot more important than it really is, but it really is just kind of like being able to sit down and isolate things, which is kind of a, a rare task, apparently, in Tarkov. Um, I've been involved with a lot of projects. As you've mentioned, I've been involved with uh, Tarkov Ballistics. Uh, I've helped a lot of people bug, debug things. I've worked with the Sherpa program. I, long story short, I kind of get around a little bit. Um, so, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I think, I think what I first heard of you maybe mentioned by Veritas, potentially, um, was, was maybe where I heard the, the, the first murmurings of kind of the, the behind the scenes sort of talk of society i mean like there's lots of different people who do lots of things in the background and i think this became apparent to me when the tarkov ballistics website opened up like that kind of uh i don't know just showed a, a whole world of people doing all sorts of crazy things that i absolutely loved and, and it was insane when when that opened up a group you know project of people working together to do various things so um i mean in terms of in terms of what kind of stuff that you've done for, for Veritas, for example, like what, what exactly would that entail for you? Like what, what sort of things have you shared with him in the past and the, st- the other kind of examples of things that you do in the community? Uh, really, with the Veritas thing, that was, uh, you're referring to his uh, zeroing video in particular. Uh, me and him kind of had a little bit of back and forth over the DMs a little bit, kind of like really hashing out what's going on, what's the best ways to test it, 
and how to demonstrate what's going on, really. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the FOV and zeroing and all that stuff has been a widely debated topic for Tarkov for quite a while, uh, mainly because it's both intuitive, but not, and realistic, but not, in a lot of ways, and it's it's just a hodgepodge of mess. Mm. Um, and really, that's just all it is. It's just like being able to talk with somebody and hammer out my things. Now, the reason why I feel like people have kind of gravitated me towards me for that purpose is because I do have a background in precision shooting, and that's kind of one of my passions outside of Tarkov. So having a little bit more real-life experience, I can sit down from a, a, a perspective that isn't quite the same as other gamers and be like, okay, why is this happening? What are some of these things that, are like, are they trying to emulate this, or are they just doing something completely random? And more often than not, they're actually trying to emulate real life. So that mm. kind of gives me a little bit of an insight onto where, why maybe some things are happening or not. Yeah, that's interesting. That kind of makes a lot of sense, just because BSG, as we know, are a very you know weapon-centric group. They 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 love the guns, and they're very well originally at least, and they still are realism-focused in some ways. I know they've moved, and I spoke about this recently more into immersion of the game but you know the, the foundation of the game is about realistic weaponry with realistic implementation of the way that the physics works and all that kind of stuff and then us as gamers first and foremost i mean i'm definitely a gamer before a, a gun person i've learned way more about guns and weaponry and ammo and ballistics and that kind of stuff from from tarkov than i have from any other game that i've played and so i think a lot of players who play the game are FPS gamers first and foremost, and are then trying to understand some of this real life stuff. So it's it's interesting that it's sort of come back full circle, and that people then refer to guys like yourselves who are um, you know shooters as well, and and that's kind of where your as you say your outside of Tarkov um, specialism and interest lies. To then say, okay, well, why might they want to be doing this? How does this work in uh, in real life? Because that's something that, for, for example, I wouldn't be able to tell you right, about the different scopes and how they're implemented. I know that's one of your areas of of, uh, of interest in particular. But um, yeah, how the, how those actually work in real life, how it's implemented in Tarkov, why they've done certain things in in different ways, um, which is interesting because at the end of the day, they're building a game. It's still it's still technically an early access. They're adding features as time goes on. I mean, even and this is the thing people say: Oh, well, you know. It's not. Uh, you can argue to the end of time about whether it's an alpha, beta, whether it's technically launched or whatever. But until we had this patch, right, we didn't have realistic bullet drop even. So they're still changing things like that to to make them closer to to reality. And so it's it is interesting. It's come full circle. So I, it, yeah, it's, it's good that you can put that kind of lens on um, and uh, of exactly how things do work in reality and then why they might have implemented them in in different ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I've I've followed some of the the background work that you've done just through seeing so many people's videos and people talking about stuff because the information like filters down through the Tarkov community in a bit of a funny way. You know, I see Veritas's videos first, like many years ago, the zeroing one, um, and I wanted to put my own spin on it. But you, you slowly collect all all of the information from lots and lots of different sources, test some stuff out yourself, see how things work, um, and then take it from there. For me, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's really cool to get to speak to you about about some of the. Uh, some of the, the real stuff um, that goes into making a game like this and, and the choices that they they might have made. It's, uh, it's good. It's very, very good. I think you, you pretty hit it pretty good on the, uh, the trickle-down effect of information. And uh, I think that's largely because of how people in Tarkov actually collect data, like actually usable data. And a lot of it is really just like sitting down for 500 hours, staring at a wall and 
decal marks like it really is <laughs> yeah. you know and it's it, it, I, i'm not exaggerating like for one of my initial tests uh back in i 10.5 i want to say it's like really when like i started hammering down what each little component of zeroing was mm-hmm. it was just me doing a 10 like a 1000 shot sample size against a wall at 100 meters and just seeing what the the decals were doing and even then i put a caveat on it it's like hey this doesn't actually represent anything like a hit marker or anything like that it's just what the decals are doing in relation to others and when you boil it down to that level of granularity either you get all the the nuance or you lose it all and then it gets disseminated out through the Tarkov community at large and then 7,000 people get the wrong opinion from your work so <laughs> it's just a nightmare in general <laughs> yeah I mean I think that's the it depends on what kind of because you know you're you're I correct me if I'm wrong but you wouldn't consider yourself a, a, a content creator in any particular way right although you do put out and I've found various posts of yours over time which you know you are testing things and putting out theories and stuff like that so you know you're creating content in in one sense um and there's there's different types of creators the people who just put out entertainment videos of you know going around killing people whatever someone like landmark you can either like the video or not and enjoy it or not but with someone who's putting out testing information like yourself and some of the things that i do i feel exactly the same way as you do and understand 100 where you're coming from because it's like you look into something whether it be this you know this armor how does this work how it holds up against various different weapons in the, in the meta how you build a gun what the cheapest way to do xyz is what the most effective weapon is for price that kind of thing you put all of your knowledge and time and effort that you can into coming to some kind of conclusion and then yeah twenty thousand people then get to see it and then critique it right and if you're if you're wrong about something somebody will find it and they will tell you and it's it's the i don't know it's it's good and bad right it's like the most sort of humbling experience being able to i don't know it's almost it's almost like having a big sort of testing pool of people and saying here's my idea and then you just test it on many thousands of people um and it if you don't take the, the response to critically um or pers- personally i should say then it can actually help you un- understand things a lot better because there's there's tons of times for, for my stuff that i've put something out and people have made comments that are, are actually you know they're correct or there's a specific situation where maybe um maybe i didn't address it or maybe it slipped through the net or maybe i just didn't know um you know no no one person can know everything and so it's actually been i don't know if yeah if you don't take things too personally they can actually be quite useful to do that testing process but i do i do definitely feel that um that weight sometimes of like the video is going to go out and you're like hmm i wonder how this is going to be received you know especially if it's something not necessarily controversial but something a little bit a little bit different or something that's maybe goes against the grain a little so yeah, that that definitely makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Um, the other half, the other half of that though is you also can occasionally get gaslit by the community, which is just a nightmare to deal with. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. And and people come to conclusions about things that they haven't necessarily tested. I would say as well, yes. they don't they haven't done it themselves, or um, you know they have a preconceived notion, or they saw it somewhere and they say, well, it must be true, or they. They think that what, what's that? What's the? I can't remember what the exact phrase is, but there's um there's a phrase that's you know the most dangerous information is those things that we know are true and are actually false. I can't remember what the what the precise phrase is, but there's so many of these things, and um sometimes it's through no fault of people's own, right? It's like things that were true have changed. They still think are true and are not true anymore because they've never retested them. That kind of 
that kind of uh, fallacy is very difficult because you have to re-question kind of everything you know right back to a base and fundamental level. Those are some of the most difficult notions, I guess, to to remove and, and that kind of thing. So it's it's hard, but um, yeah, it's it's good. It's good. I mean, how how much Tarkov do you actually like play these days? Do you still play um, play a lot? I saw you playing with um, our good friend Airwing the other day. So uh, you know you clearly are playing the game. But like, uh, do you participate every wipe? Um, do you only play? A bit, or how how far do you get, and how's this wipe been for you? I have played every single wipe since point seven. Um, wow, I've got about seven thousand hours in game, um, including testing. So probably realistically about five thousand gaming hours realistically, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that's after a eight month hiatus here last year. Um, I took about eight months off and really only like touched Tarkov and little nits and picks and bits. But Tarkov remains my my main game because it it is the only game that scratches the itch, so to speak. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> I think as much as uh, I love Tarkov, yeah, yeah. Have you um have you ever tried playing some of the others? Like uh, I'm, I imagine you're probably an armor guy as well in that sense. I have, I have a lot of hours in armor that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> that's uh, that's fair enough that's fair i never really got into armor myself i think that was just because it passed me by it wasn't through any particular distinct choice like the only interaction i've had with armor i mean we talked about this last time a bit so you know we don't have to go off onto onto this side tangent again but um i played i i had armor for the purposes of having the original Daisy mod, and that was it. And nobody that I knew actually played Armor, and so I ended up I ended up skipping it and not playing. Um, but I was always broadly aware of it being you know, super realistic and has you know, great bullet physics and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think anybody ever really like hyped it up to me because maybe it was like slightly too serious. Um, and you know, it's like about squad comms. It's like being actual real combat, whereas Tarkov is sort of that borderline between fantasy combat and you, know, you can go around solo and the way that the, the game's constructed it's more like an rpg and that kind of thing rather than um you know doing doing real soldier things like real soldiers would in in real life and so maybe that's potentially why it appealed a bit more to me than like an actual full realistic simulator of real warfare and i'm not sure um but no, that's interesting I'm, I'm 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 not surprised um in the slightest that <laughs> that you're that you're into armor i'm not surprised in the slightest Oh, there's there's so many different things. There's honestly so many different things that I could ask you. Church, have you, have you? Is there anything that you wanted to bring up at this point? Because like I, there's, honestly, there's about fifteen different ways I could take this at this point. Yeah, um, something that I was thinking. Um, I wanted to get your take, Tower, on BSG's implementation on recoil, and I guess to sort of broaden that topic, like how the the guns handle compared to what they are trying to simulate, which is real life, obviously. And I've I've talking to someone else who's like very similarly passionate about firearms and um, the game itself, and it's it's yeah the whole discussion's interesting to me. But I want to hear what what your take is on like because there's a lot of well, let me say two things. One, me and Giga recently got wind of this video where it like showed all the hidden stats in Tarkov and sort of like reverse engineered um the game through modding it and and whatnot and so they could play with values and see which each value that did and how it affect the gun in terms of the game and whatnot it was was very interesting um but it it did sort of like i don't know it it just 
kind of um, felt like there was room for improvements in the system. And of course, you know, this this patch, we got the recoil uh, changes made. So what is what is your take on that? Um, so I'm actually going to kind of springboard off of what another mm-hmm. content creator said, uh, Mr. Bodkin. Mr. Bodkin, uh, Lewis Bodkin over at TRS Arm and stuff kind of said it best. It's like, BSG kind of needs to pick one or the other. Are are our characters completely new to firearms, or are they seasoned former Spetsnaz, former military, you know, player or individuals? Um, and what I mean by that is, in one hand, our PMCs are extremely like ridiculously good at a lot of things, but another thing, it's like very simple things that should be pretty ambiguous. Uh, ubiquitous of most shooters are kind of missing uh, from Tarkov in general. Um, to kind of like focus in on your question as far as like recoil, recoil is such a odd thing in real life because you have two real forms of recoil that are talked about in the shooting industry, and that's felt recoil and perceived recoil. Mm-hmm. It's kind of those things, and maybe I'm getting those terms wrong off the top of my head, but basically it's like how much mechanical force is actually being applied to the shooter and how much is that affecting the shooter. And you could kind of uh, uh, like equate those things to camera recoil versus mechanical recoil. Um, right. Great example would be the SKS versus the AKM. If you get those two at the same recoil stats, they have different camera recoils, and you can see that. Um, and that boils down to form factor and stuff like that. So I think in that regard, Tarkov does a very good job at like trying to demonstrate that there's much more nuanced recoil than just two stat numbers. Um, and the other side, though, it's like 5.56 five, really doesn't kick all that much. And there are mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of videos on YouTube of people putting, you know, like three round burst in like a two inch target at 25 yards, which you cannot do that as your PMC. So it's again, is this a new shooter or is this somebody who's extremely skilled? Um, so in that regard, kind of probably needs a little bit more work. Now, to speak on the, like how they're actually like building in these systems, I think they're kind of... Uh, they're in a good place and they can fix it if they really wanted to nail it down, but they're going to have to finalize what they want the game to be. And I don't think they've really done that yet, because I feel like as... Uh, you Beef mentioned is like they've kind of gone from like, oh, we want like a really, really, really game versus kind of a little bit more of a fantasy shooter immersed in real life, but still a fantasy shooter. And hmm. riding that line is either going to pay off really well, but if you don't ride the line like dead nuts, you're going to lean too far into the other or so on and so forth, and it's going to really throw it off balance. And I think that's where we're at in Tarkov right now is we're kind of in an off foot moment. Um, especially if you compare recoil versus like 11.5, 10.5, and so on and so forth to 12. Um, a lot of people complain that a lot of guns aren't usable anymore simply because we're used to that perception of from zero recoil laser metaguns and whatnot. And is that a fault of the game or a fault of the community? That's kind of a which one would you rather you know pick kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my perception of it. Me, it doesn't affect my gameplay one way or the other. Yeah, because I've seen one of your YouTube videos, or maybe it was a clip or something. I, I don't remember. It was that probably YouTube, and you were like on top of um, the like outside of on interchange outside of power, 
there's like those giant cranes that you were prone on top of and you had an AK like 104 with <laughs> US rounds and like a Valde and you were like on the 6x sniping people and it was like zeroed at like 150 but you weren't even aiming at the dead center I'm just like dude what the heck am I watching <laughs> like how is this guy doing this like I was honestly just like I didn't re- I like I didn't think that was even possible dude <laughs> like sniping with US ammo <laughs> I didn't think that was a I've thing been, dude that has been my recent flex for this wipe. Until somebody <laughs> brought up the fact that the recoil reduction, the US ammo. So... Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but th- that's always been my thing. It's like for, for years and years and years, US mm-hmm. ammo has been the butt of many jokes in Tarkov. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, don't don't use that. And I'm like, you can mm-hmm. do it. It just takes a level of understanding to do it. And um, and what I mean by that is like it doesn't affect my gameplay. Is like you can work around everything. Mm. And I again, I think that's what uh, give a point to BSG is like, yes, there's super high recoil in the game, but if you have either a proper positioning, proper tactics, or proper cadence, which a lot of people don't think about, it doesn't matter necessarily what the recoil stat is. And I think Gigabeef is kind of waltzed into that idea a little bit um, by playing with the M4 a little bit more. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's got a lot of recoil, but if you take your time with your shots... And if you set the tempo correctly, it really doesn't have that much of an effect on your ability to put rounds on target. And in that regard, I think it's a very realistic aspect because that's something that's talked a lot about in competitive shooting is your your tempo about things and just how to set your mindset up to deal with these altercations that you go through. So again, point PSG for realism on that regard. Yeah, it's an interesting one because, yeah, the, uh, it's interesting what you said about the community because the community is it is still expects, I think, at this point, you to be able to full auto players at certain ranges. And the way that people interpret the changes in recoil really is how far now can I full auto someone with the scope on versus how far could I before when maybe that wasn't necessarily the the purpose. And exactly as you pointed out, you know, I made basically a whole video of me using the M4 in semi but still having the ability to use full auto point blank. And it was it was honestly fine. And I think I was talking about this on my stream the other day. People were talking about different guns and that kind of thing. And I I, I said, look, honestly, the weapons, like people love watching gun videos about in Tarkov. They it's some of the, the most viewed videos that you that you can make. But weapons in Tarkov genuinely, if you're using a certain class of weapons that are effective in general as, as a broad sense, it constitutes probably 10 to 15% of the actual like game between two equally skilled players like it really is so over it's over uh emphasized right like whether you're using the akm with a decent suppressor and it's kind of is this all right versus the mutant versus the m4 versus the scar the mdr like it's you can kill anybody with anything and the time to kill is not very high in eft and if you a lot of the fights you catch someone off guard and the other person not looking and you and they die <laughs> and um in that regard that yeah it's only a certain small subset of fights where you're both equally skilled and the recoil makes a, a difference there when when two players, one person kills the other person slightly quicker because they get a few more shots on target. But most people are using relatively similar guns with relatively similar ammo with similar time to kill. And it doesn't make as big a difference as people think. I mean, they see the recoil and and they you know they they worry about it a lot because i think and it you know what in, in some ways it is fair enough because it's one of the few things that you can actually control 
outside of just playing more and getting better at shooting about map knowledge it just takes a long time right whereas you can say well i can watch this video and i can make a really efficient gun and i can get a gun with really good stats that feels great to use that i get i get that that's fair enough because it's something that you can you can change um and it's an information thing as opposed to like a a skill or a knowledge thing so that makes sense why people obsess over it because they can actually control it so that's that's true but i I still think that there's an overemphasis you can really use any of the good guns uh, and kill people and to be honest you can even use some of the bad guns and kill people um i recently did just because a lot of people were asking me and it ended up being quite fun the weapons tier list i thought it was too late to make it but i did it anyway because who knows what's going on with Tarkov content creation right now? It's a complete mess. And so I was like, whatever, we'll just put it out anyway. And it was much harder than I than I thought to do because so many of the weapons are situational. Something's really good in a particular scenario, but not in others. It's like, how do you compare these things together? It's so difficult, right? And like I, I was like, well, I'm just gonna do I'm gonna do all of these categories at once and and just come with an overall an overall ranking for these things. Boy, it is hard. You know, when you're trying to when you're trying to list them for the effectiveness, but also how efficient that weapon is. It's like, well, where do I put something like the RSAS? Like, you can't, like, you wouldn't ever really buy it. So, even though it's technically better than something like the SR25, I'm going to end up having to put it underneath because like, you can't access it and all of this kind of stuff. And the the comments were hilarious. People's comments on it were either just like disagreeing in a funny way disagreeing in an angry way like there is a there is yeah. a few people who were very very annoyed with certain things that i put in certain categories but one of them really stood out because and that's what reminded me of the arsas is because he said you know the arsas is like obviously s tier i would never buy it but i get loads from the moonshine um <laughs> scab case thing i'm just like dude you'd never buy it but like i would never buy it that's why i didn't put it at the top you know it's like that kind of thing it's like the, but it's sort of um I think the thing that I've learned from that is to maybe hone down into something. I see, I saw um, when I was looking around what other people had done, Jesse had done one about, um, I think it was, he did a tier list under like maybe a hundred, under a hundred K or something like best value guns, something like that. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Didn't think much more of it. And then after doing this one and doing the full recording, I was like, I can totally see why he did that because you really have to like, I think it's much better to hone in on a particular aspect and say tier list for this scenario rather than something else. Because yeah, it's how how do you how do you rank like the the one five three against um I don't know the OPSKS for example like it's 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 really tough right it's like those two things they do very different things um and the one thing that it does well the other one does very badly and and vice versa so it's uh, it, it's tricky it's tricky but um yeah no it's um it, it's definitely it's definitely interesting I mean yeah so Church you alluded to talking about the the optics i did i did actually want to ask you about optics a little bit and about um some of the implementation of, of that too just because um i always see you putting posts out about it and putting images and things and uh, it's, it's one thing that i've never really experienced that the the only optic that i have ever used is the british susat 3x which is um very bad <laughs> um that was that was definitely the experience um and that was that was not really in any professional capacity or anything um i was in the the cadet force as a as a young gigger um which was great fun um but unfortunately we had to use british army kit including the the formidable and renowned sa80 (laughs) along with its uh, three times susa which is quite interesting but um yeah i mean like i guess there's a few things about optics. Let's start with some of the variables, for example, because I know in Tarkov they are implemented as fixed zooms, right? But 
I broadly am aware that most of many of these scopes, you you change the the, the dial right, and they and they zoom on a, in a full variable nature. How many of the scopes are like that? And um, do you think that would actually add anything to the game, or do you think it's okay having like settings? Because I think they just did it for implementation or something. They did do it for implementation, and the easier way to answer your question is off the top of my head, I can think of like four prism optics, which are the switch powers, uh, mm-hmm. like we were talking about, where you actually have a lever on the side that rotates uh, a cube, an optical cube on the inside, and goes from one power to four power. And that's the Spectre LCAN, the PS320 Valde, and the larger Spectre, which is actually a three stage, which is a three, six, and nine power. Those are the only like reliable, uh, and I, I use the quote reliable very loosely, um, prismatic optics because that that entire like design tree for optics is is very machine and precision like demanding versus mm. the rector assembly system, which is just the the ring that everybody uses. Okay, so most scopes are actually using that that full adjustment range from one to six rather than one or six so to speak yeah okay that makes sense because i do actually miss that a, a little bit i think did, did PUBG? i'm pretty sure PUBG had full variability where you just use the scroll wheel and, and it was one of the things that i actually missed the most when i first came to talk because i had to assign a key to switch to switch optics rather than using because now obviously i use scroll wheel to do other things control speed of character and all that kind of stuff but that was one of the, i remember distinctly sitting down with the controls being like where is the variable and why can't i fit it on my on my mouse wheel and then realizing oh everything's literally it's just clicks it's lots of clicks to make them work i think there's there's that one soviet scope which is even what is it three and then and then it the reticle illuminates and then it's 12 i can't, I can't remember uh, what the exact 59 yeah and then it's it goes click and then it illuminates and then it zooms and then it illuminates and then it comes back like it's one of the most undervalued scopes in the game it's actually quite a good optic in tarkov in my opinion but it's just so clumsy to use because of this like reticle illumination feature um which is which is kind of a shame but uh but yeah, no, it's um, it is definitely interesting. And there's there's something that I've I've been like reading about tangentially, which um, also you you mentioned about first focal plane versus second focal plane um, implementation as well, which is something that like until you started talking about it, it's, it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. Like I didn't even know that this was a um, a concept particularly. How so? How is that implemented in Tarkov? And does that it's would not. that have any impact? It's not at all. So so I say it's not. Um... It is just all over the place. So whenever somebody thinks, and I'll I'll try to be as quick and as concise on this as possible. (laughs) Whenever somebody thinks of nil dots, they think of that dot means 100, the next dot means 200, the next dot means 300, right? Which is not the case, because if you load a 9mm bullet into one gun, Mm -hmm. you're no longer shooting 100 meters with your second dot, because different ballistics, right? Pretty simple. Those dots are actually angles, that are, are hmm. very specific, right? At 100 meters, the space between those dots is 10 centimeters. At 200 meters, they're 20 centimeters, right? So that's a first focal plane scope would keep everything in line. No matter how big the dots get on your screen, they're still worth that same angular unit of measurement, a milliradian. A second focal plane scope, which is much more common to hunting rifles and stuff like that, to the shooter, the scope doesn't change your size at all. So if you look at the uh, Vortex Razor, Vortex mm-hmm. Razor in-game is a second focal plane scope. 
the reticle does not change size to the shooter, but the dots have changed angularity size in re respect to the target that you're looking at. On 1x, they are worth one-sixth of what they are at 6x. Pretty simple concept. Um, some scopes in Tarkov should be first focal plane. Some scopes in Tarkov shouldn't be first, plane, uh, first focal plane. So in some aspects, they've got it right. In some aspects, they've got it wrong. Um, in the case of the 1P59, as you've mentioned, that thing is its own unique monster, and I don't want to touch that with a six-foot pole. Because um, <laughs> that thing is just crazy. Um, could they fix it? Yes, because Tarkov uses individual uh, reticle pictures for each of the reticles. So when you do have reticles that change, for instance, the EOTech video, those are our two separate JPEG pictures. They're not like blown up scales or anything like that. So if you wanted to, you could actually do a first focal plane reticle setup on Tarkov uh, as its existing structure. It just requires a little bit more work. Mm. Um, the, both have advantages and disadvantages, obviously, but I'll let you talk. No, no, that that's fine. That's very that's very interesting. That is very interesting. Because yeah, it was something that I didn't really um I didn't really know anything about and I started to have a look and really from for the you know, un, uninitiated IRL shooter or something, it really to me it was the most obvious difference was yeah, as you as you zoom in, the actual reticle, you know, diagrammatic stuff that you see, the numbers and all those things you with um and well which way I, I forget which way around it is is first focal plane it stay which, which did you say was it stays the, they stay the same with first focal first, plane or they they increase in size as well get visually gets bigger yeah okay so first focal plane all of the stuff you see gets larger as you zoom in and second focal plane it stays exactly the same and no matter how much you zoom yeah then the all of the stuff inside the scope all the reticle nonsense all stays looking the same to the shooter and as you said that means that then the values are changing obviously because the picture behind them is moving um and, and getting larger which um yeah that, that that totally makes sense that totally makes sense i guess they could implement something like that it is yeah it does seem at this point that it would be quite a well it would be quite a fix to if they were going to do that then it would be better if they just went to the full variable model i, I wonder if they are actually thinking of going full variable eventually rather than the implementation they have now i can imagine it probably is quite a bit of work compared to what they've already got if they've got these fixed jpeg pictures for each scope and they just parameterize those and when you click it it just shifts over to something else like yeah they could fix the first and second focal plane thing but um i think another like most people wouldn't notice like i don't know which scopes are which anyway and so the vast majority of people wouldn't even know to to query it and, and say it's a problem i guess um but i definitely did notice the lack of variability so that would be something that would be nice for them to to adjust to be honest because it is a little awkward sometimes, especially, and it really, put, it, to be honest, it puts me off the sixes quite a lot. It's like, I've never been a historic massive user of the six times is until starting to play Lighthouse because I always thought that it was a little, a little much. I, I normally stick to the fours myself, but if you could actually use them as variables, then it would make them, it would make them much better. It would honestly make them much better. Like it's just, <laughs> there's no doubt it would make it, make them much more usable. And I think people would use them on, um, on a wider variety of maps so that would be that'd be good actually just to get more gear to be used more often rather than putting them down to niche niche uh a niche role because i mean there's especially a couple the last thing i'll say about it is there's a there's a couple of those ones in the 34 mil mounts which just don't ever get used right because they're like enormous telescopes now do they start off irl being super powered and then they vary from that to something even more crazy but like some some of them are just nuts right you can see across like half of woods and you, it's still too much <laughs> <laughs> so 
so that's that's a little bit more on like design issues with the map in Tarkov and a, a reality of of modern combat in general. It's like generally speaking, shots aren't taken outside of three hundred meters in in most combat situations. So having a twelve power scope is ridiculous, let alone a thirty five power scope like one of the the, the night force match rifles. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like at that point, it's like to properly implement 35 power magnification you're either using it for target identification like you have to make sure that whatever you're shooting at it is absolutely the thing that you're supposed to blow up right so that's one use for it Mm -hmm. the other use is you know making extreme long range shots when i speak about the extreme long range i'm speaking over 1500 meters which in tarkov you think about that and it's just like jesus that's not enough magnification right now to do that (laughs) Because <laughs> at that point, like again, to use our little our little mill dots, right? If that's ten centimeters at a hundred yards, at fifteen hundred meters, that's one point five meters. That space between that little dot, which is like fourteen pixels on your screen. <laughs> so trying to make a headshot at that distance becomes a little like mind boggling to sort of do. Um now, to answer your, your real-life question, yes, uh, they do start out at a typically a higher magnification range. Uh, one of the most common um, rifle magnifications in uh, precision rifle shooting as a competition is a 4 to 14 power, uh, mainly because you get the field of view to, to scan for targets at 200-plus meters, and then when you find your target and you really got to dial it in, you can crank it all the way to 14 power, and get nice solid holds on your target, um, and that's more for like a quote tactical or defensive style shooting where you don't know how far away the target is. You have to make a quick guess on your range estimation and correct yourself while shooting. You don't have a spotter, you know, kind of helping you out, kind of thing. So in that regard, it's good versus your F class shooting, which is where you would see the seven to thirty-five power guys who are sitting, laying prone with a tripod and a sandbag tucked under their arm, gazing mm. at a target with a 50 power scope. You know, those guys are shooting the wings off a fly at 500 yards kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's, yeah, it's fascinating hearing about the, the realities of what people use these things for, because I think that's also the thing, right? They've, they've taken all of these real-life scopes, but Tarkov is a bit of a strange beast, in that yes. yeah it's realistic but the maps are I, I don't even know how to describe it it's like the maps are the maps have a real feeling about them that doesn't necessarily make them appropriate to be using long range optics on and in a lot of cases well, they they aren't and i think that's probably okay so so funny thing about that right and something that we were doing in world war 1 so literally a, a hundred and five years ago now right 105 mm-hmm. years ago the u.s standard on our standard out went from an eight power scope or a two power scope for their rifles for like for their sniper program um back before it was actually a sniper program just kind of a marksman thing that was happening in world mm-hmm. war Two. anyways but almost universally all countries in world war one and world war two pretty much settled on a three to four power optic which is interesting right because what else is a four-power optic that you can think of off the top of your head that any American would know about? The ACOG. The ACOG, yeah. Right? And it's funny because 
over a hundred years of conflict from everywhere from trench warfare where the nearest guy was 700 yards away right sitting in a trench barely poking mm -hmm. his head up to the possible room clearings in the middle east versus the magnified like multi-kilometer shots taken the general infantry rifle uses four power just what it is it's mm -hmm. enough to give you a little bit of zoom to give yourself like an accurate target uh target representation like you can see what you're shooting at you know where you're holding you can get hits on target but it's not so much that you can't see what's going on around you so in that regard tarkov i think has done a very good job of representing that um, mm. and it really does leave the higher end magnification to be very specialized specific nut job people in tarkov <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is which is interesting i think it's one of the things that i quite like about lighthouse so much is that it gives a, an actual real reason to use more of those longer range optics before there wasn't really any point and there was no way to actually do that whereas now you have this super long range pve element to the game which i actually think is kind of cool because it, it gives an, an option is one of the things that i had underestimated because until recently i really hadn't played much lighthouse especially as pmc i played more scav there just because you can make some easy money but I hadn't really played much PMC and that was the thing that I underestimated about the map, which actually then made me like it more and find it more interesting because as Church knows, I always talk about player choice and making hard decisions is what makes games interesting, you know, forcing players to make hard decisions. And when playing Lighthouse, I was, you know, I'm still always thinking about the loadout going in being like, well, I want to shoot rogues and I want to shoot them from long range. So I need to have a, a, a six times or something but and a gun to actually do that and to be able to deliver the damage. But then I might not spawn anywhere near them. So I'm going to have to fight some PMCs and I might have to go past the villas and I might have to fight someone at close range. So I need to, I need to have a kit that kind of deals with everything because if I go all in, then I might end up in a fight and just die. And there's not that many maps that make me play like that because you can usually very specifically choose what you're going to do in most of the games so even on somewhere like reserve which has a, a quite wide variety of, of different environments to play in pretty much no matter where you are on the map you can get inside and go into the underground if you want to and if you don't want to you can just roam around on top there's not really much enforcement of that whereas on lighthouse if you want to go and kill the rogues but you start off down in the south yeah you're not inside or, or underground or anything like that but the the fighting is it is very different and you don't really get much choice you're just plonked in and you you have to make sure your kit is variable enough to be able to deal with both of those things or, or, or do you just risk that you might not be adequately um geared for that particular scenario which is, is one thing that's is interesting because i like making i like making interesting choices and i feel that lighthouse does that which is good it's given it a place for some of these higher range scopes and the you know the vortex razors become kind of i guess it's sort of scope of the wipe almost i mean people love this thing right and so it's because partly because of that map i'm sure uh funny enough it's actually one of the more popular uh competition optics too for the mm. speed shooters of all people um uh. and this is something that some other content creators in the shooting world have kind of talked about is um the variable power scopes kind of get designed for quote the assaulter not the dmr guy um, and that the, the Vortex optic is actually very much in the Salter realm of optics. It's got a nice 1.1 1, 1 power, I think it's his official designation. Um, okay. Very clear, and it's got that bright red dot in the center. So on one power, it really is almost like using a red dot. But it does let you reach out to like 600 yards with pretty decent effect, and it doesn't slow anything down. Um, and I think, as you mentioned, like if you want something versatile, of course you're going to gravitate towards that, right? So 
So yeah, I, I, I agree hundred percent. I think the reason why the Vortex and the EOTech Voodoo have been the top go-to scopes is because they realistically are the most flexible. Mm. Mm. Yeah, exactly. You have, you have enough to deal with, with the range, plus you have, have the one times as well for easy access. And because of, I, I think maybe prior to this wipe, I mean, red dots are always really good and any kind of, um, you know, basic holographic or red dots is always always good to use and the one x's on the actual scopes are good but with the with the extra focus i guess on on semi-auto weapons and the domination of just like 308 over everything else because you're firing those weapons on semi the disadvantage of using the one times on the on the variables versus an actual you know like micro dot or red dot or something has been diminished quite a lot. Um, I sort of forgot about this the other day. In one of my videos, I had a clip of using the, um, I was using the SA58 and I just kind of forgot I was the amount of recoil that was on that thing and ended up using it in full auto in a pinch point um, with a with a one times on. Ah, oh, was it on the TAC 30? I think it might have been. And um, I just like, as soon as I held down the button, the whole thing was just black and I couldn't see anything. And I just I just didn't think about it. Whereas for most of the guns now, if you're using them on semi, you've got SR25 or something, you just never really lose sight picture. And, and previously, it was just, it was so, so full auto dominated. I think those scopes have just become even better. And if you're using semi-auto, you can use them almost interchangeably with a red dot now. Um, just because of, of the way that the recoil has, has changed the guns that people use, maybe changed some people's play styles as well. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting what kind of comes in and out of the meta, depending on, you, know, you make you make one tweak here and it changes so many different things about the guns first and then the knock-on impact of what that means and the type of fire people are using and then the scopes because of how you use them. It's, um, it's very hard to predict all of this stuff. I do feel for BSG sometimes because people say, well, you know, they didn't see this coming. And it's like, this is very, it's actually not easy to yeah. to predict the impact on complex systems when you make some kind of nudge. You know, it's never that easy. You can make predictions and some people are better at it than others and it takes experience. But it is it is tricky. I do feel for them occasionally on that because it's, it is hard to understand and predict all the ramifications for, for changes that you make. Uh something I kind of want to bring up since you brought up the top one X versus red dots is in addition to why red dots are not used quite as often as the one X's is simply for the amount of real estate they give in your screen. And this is a video game issue. Uh, when you bring up a one X in Tarkov, right? 80% of your screen is your optical housing, like what you're mm. looking through. Right. And so you have nice, perception of everything around it it's not too bad you can make adjustments accordingly versus if you look through a red dot for example like let's go with like the hss one um one of the eotex or something like that you have your reticle and then a reticle's width to your left and right is your housing Mm. that's not something you see in real life that gets occluded by your your focal points basically so when you bring up a red dot in real life you get like Mm. a little bit of a blur where the housing is and a bright dot in the center that you use for aiming so that's why typically red dots are much more common in real life uh for speed shooting and stuff like that because they are legitimately faster than one power optics um which is something that if you implemented it correctly in video games people wouldn't like it at first why because the um the red dot would be so big no 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 so it's the same size on your screen right but the housing is just a blur it's a see-through opaque blur, basically, would be the correct mm. effect. Oh, so the actual, like, the the glass, if you will, would be blurry. 
Okay, so not clear. So you mean think the frame, about, right? Yeah, the frame. Like the frame of the ear tech. You know, it's quite bulky. In, Why in... would people not like that though? That doesn't like on paper. It doesn't sound like it would bother me. It doesn't sound like it on paper, right? But imagine if you just had two smudges on your screen, right? Just okay. sitting, looking around, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't see because because the smudge or just whatever. It's just that's the arguments I've heard against it, anyways. Um, I actually have I mean, seen. Like, Sorry, Church, you, you go on. I'll say afterwards. Well, I was going to say like the the voodoo and the vortex. Like, if you're essentially saying it would look similarly like that, in other words, like the housing would be um, on the outmost part. Like, or let me let me rephrase it. You're trading um, perception, or what's the word? The the uh, I can't think of it. But the almost like your your outside vision. For a more huh peripheral, yes, for so, a more like cleaner, basically like a you would, it would be like a voodoo one x. No, no, no. So here, I think where where you might have misheard. So picture in your head, you've got an M4 with an uh, with a uh, with an EOTech on it, right? Okay. You're aiming down sights. You're just normal in Tarkov, right? Mm-hmm. Now use a smudge tool and blur the housing like the actual frame mm-hmm. of the optic. That's what it would probably realistically look like. So your dot is still small, okay. but the left room, the frame itself is smudgy. To where you could almost So you still it. have the same peripheral vision like you're not moving your head further so to no. speak. No, no, you're not actually oh, okay, like pulling okay. it closer to the optic. You just get more awareness I around see. the optic itself. Cuz in I video see. games, typically what people prioritize for what makes a good red dot versus a bad red dot is how thin that frame is. That's why the Walther HHS right. site um, mm. is unanimously loved at, like in Call of Duty and stuff like mm-hmm. that because it's just this nice thin, thin frame. In right. real life, that site is garbage because <laughs> it doesn't hold zero and it's not durable. So no one uses it. Mm-hmm. Which it's probably... I was going to say it's probably similar to the OKP7 as well. The the yep. one with the really thin film that comes around, and that's stuff really nice to use, right? The dovetail version of that, and you stick it on various AKs with the with the dovetail mount, and then it's super thin, and you can see lots of stuff around because it's just a bit of a folded, you know, metal leaf over the top mm-hmm. that holds this glass in place. And but I've heard that that's very brittle as well and not durable at all. Extremely brittle, extremely like fuzzy. It's 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 not good. <laughs> I have one actually. I bought one on a whim for sixty bucks. I'm like, it can't be that bad. I I have not touched it. It, it wow. lives in a box. Yeah, that's it's definitely interesting. I've seen, I have read about this before and seen some potential implementations of this, and it's difficult because it's. Um, we've talked previously about about implementation and feel versus um, how things look on paper. I mean, we talked about this mostly when the semi-auto fire rate cap came in and the original implementation of that, which was if you click too fast, you just don't shoot. And then they changed that to it shoots at the max rate if you click too quickly now, which it feels, I mean, people argue about the cap, right? Whether it should or shouldn't be there. But if that feels miles different to the other implementation, even though technically speaking, they're quite similar, but one feels really, really bad. And the other one feels, you know, yeah, I could use this this is okay. Um, And so, yeah, it's fascinating to appreciate like the feel for some of this stuff like i have seen and, th- and this is the thing from my perspective that I've, you know as a, as a non-shooter but i can i totally get the i guess the sort of the science and perception of that where if you're using a red dot or, or whatever and you've got 
both eyes open, then you have that effect of you know, you've got your finger in front of one eye, but you can still see perfectly fine because all you've got is the blur in front of one. Your brain just pieces the image together and yep. you barely even notice, right? And so that's the thing, whether you have some, it would have to be some kind of opacity or whatever. But the problem is, is that you just, you run into the basic problem of that it's a two-dimensional screen that's trying to depict a three-dimensional image. And because that object is so close to you, the the... I guess what's what's the way that I want to put this? Like the approximations that you make in the depiction become more more obviously incorrect because yep. the anomaly between what you're being shown on the on the monitor versus how it would be in real life is different, right? And this is the reason why when you use a VR headset, why things up close feels absolutely insanely sick, right? And stuff at distance in a VR headset doesn't really make much difference because it's approximately identical on a two-dimensional monitor doesn't really make that much difference like an object at infinity the theoretical infinity value or a horizon for example doesn't really make much much difference at all whereas in vr the thing that absolutely blows people's minds is like turning a can in front of your face because that's when things feel really 3d because that's when the image that's going into the two screens into both of your eyes is the most different and so that's why it feels the most 3d and the most crazy because it's the thing that we're not used to as much so that's it's actually really interesting that that works in that way like how you implement that in 2d yeah you either have to have a smudge or you have to have it with some kind of like 30 percent opacity so that you can still see the frame but you can see through the frame as well like nothing feels good and that's because you just can't realistically depict that on a monitor and so exactly all the way back to tower's point as to why things feel some feel good and some don't, is that when you're using a red dot in tar- something like Tarkov that doesn't even attempt to put that in place, you just have the thick, bulky frame and it's fixed. And it, the, you, it plays Tarkov as if you only have one eye, effectively. Like it's looking mm, down yeah, a red yeah. dot as if you've only got yeah. one eye, right? And so it's a really thick, bulky frame. So people prioritize the thinness, but then you're looking down uh, an optic of some kind. You have your dot in the center. There's nothing else around it. Feels really nice. You don't have anything else in the way. There's no other housing or anything like that. Plus you're your character in Tarkov can immediately put that right into the center of their eye and there's no kind of, you know, weird wobble, whatever. Because some of the best things about holographics is that the holographic, I guess, um, reticle just stays stays on target no matter whether you've got your head slightly to one side or the other, right? That's the the beauty of them. Um, And so there's some of these things that are missing from, you 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 can't really implement that. How do you even implement looking down an actual optic? The only experience that I've really got with that is, as I said, the the terrible SUSAT, which is, you know, maybe not the best example. Um, But I did play a VR game um, only for a little bit. I wasn't super, super into it, but it was, it was interesting to have a go at. Someone recommended it to me and it was called Onward. And that one is a a little bit sort of, uh, I don't know, realistic shooter style. And in that you could have an ACOG and there's a whole sorts of other, other different things. And it was one of those ones where you look down and there's like, you have a, a belt full of stuff and you have to actually reload the the guns yourself. Actually it was, this was actually quite a fun game. I had, there was, they had a few, a few different weapons implemented. And one of them was the P90. This is a slight side tangent, but they had the P90. And I was like, you know, I've used the P90 in CS. I've used it in uh, various, various games. I've used it in Tarkov, whatever. And again, in, in, in onward fire off my, um, my magazine down the range. And I'm just like, I actually have no idea how to reload this bad boy because <laughs> you have to actually like actuate the things, pull the mag out, like reclip it back in. I was just like, I don't even know where the mag release catch is. So I had to like go and like look up for the mag release catch. And even for certain other weapons as well, I was just like, I don't genuinely, I've just pressed R. I've pressed R for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the actual buttons are on these things um, for various different guns. The P90 in particular, because it's like, 
very different, right? So that's why that one stands out. Because the other ones you can kind of figure out. If you've used any sort of rifle of some kind, you can, you can figure it out. But that one in particular was was a real standout. But in that, that was actually even worse, right? So that you could use a four times or an eight times of some description. And it was very, very difficult to keep because you actually had to bring it up. There was no ADS or anything. Yep. You did it, right? So you bring the controller up and then you align your eye down the down the scope. But the problem with that, right, and the problem with Onward is that you aren't actually physically holding a gun. And so yeah. you're trying to line your eye up down some kind of um, optic, but you don't even have a physical reference. So you can't squeeze your cheek in, hold, you know, hold it here and, you know, get everything like nice and tight. There's nothing there. Your arms are just floating in midair and it made it like nightmarish. So it was super, super hard to actually even keep a consistent sight picture down down the optic like it was it was crazy so anyway none of that is implemented in video games obviously and like you wouldn't even really be able to do that unless it was in vr um and uh yeah so it's i guess long-winded conversation about why the uh the red dots aren't implemented as as they should be because it's it's very hard to come up with a compromise i've never really seen anybody it would be interesting to see if the guys at battlestate could do something like put some opacity or something like that because maybe that would be a good halfway house but i the impression i get is people just don't really like it so you've reminded me of two things uh one is the recoil thing i wanted to talk about since it kind of circles back to church's topic on recoil um, and the quick thing I want to touch on about red dots, and you said that no matter where you're kind of looking through them, where your head is, they're on target. Uh, that's known as parallax error, um, or the lack thereof in this case. Tarkov gets it right, and sometimes it doesn't in red dots. And I don't know why. I haven't hmm. been able to like beat my head against the wall until Tarkov reveals its secrets to me yet, to the <laughs> point that it will. Um, but some red dots are parallax-free, meaning if you lay down right and you scope in you know how your your reticle is no longer centered inside uh the housing if you're like laying on your side or something like that mm-hmm. and you shoot they are still zeroed some of them are not for whatever reason and i i, I legitimately can't figure out why um is that a small minute thing eh, it could be until you look at the implication of you moving mm-hmm. because those sites that it remains true no matter which way you're looking at it through versus the sites that don't, right? If mm-hmm. you're bouncing around, you know, your red dots bounce and bound left and right, your point of aim either follows the dot because everything is locked together as a rail mm-hmm. and you're using a holographic site so it's all entering your eye at the same point regardless and that sort of stuff. So if you're moving, wherever your reticle is is where you're hitting versus some of the other red dots where wherever the reticle is, is nowhere near where your point of impact is, mm. which kind of needs to be tightened up, in my opinion. That's why I think a lot of red dots in Tarkov get chosen over, over other red dots, is subconsciously people are aware of, oh, hey, this red dot actually hits where I'm aiming most of the time. It mm-hmm. feels better. And I think that's that's a, an issue with Tarkov in general is like there's a lot of so many things that feel better that we can't put into words in Tarkov. Yeah, definitely. I know that the people always talk about like the floatiness of certain optics. Um, you have like the the Pilad Weaver one. That was the, it used to be that some of them worked and some of them didn't. There was a, a an actual little target one and the was it the. Was it the T? I forget. There was the two of them that, that made sense. And then the two dots just felt like they floated everywhere. And the, and the MRS yep. also just seems to float everywhere. But something like the Delta Point seems really good. Um, it's 
it's, it's difficult, right? So yeah, some of them don't feel stable and some of them do feel stable. And then they, they seem to change some things up in the optics rework, which made some stuff better and some stuff worse and yeah, left the community uh, just kind of going, huh? Like what, what happened? I, a lot of people were expecting that to be the, the big shakeup that would have fixed everything and made everything feel sensible again. But it just yeah. seemed to ask more questions of, of what they've done. Oh, Tarkov. <laughs> it is a bit they, of a beast. They have the optics rework. I could I could rant on for hours about the optics rework, but I'm not. Um to kind they of should, to, uh, yeah, they should just get they should just get you in, you know. Just get you into to I'm trying. <laughs> I keep sending emails. No one's wrote me back yet. I'm trying oh. to learn Russian so I can yell at them in Russian. <laughs> <laughs> um But the other thing I want to talk about was recoil is in my mind, like when I see Tarkov recoil, to me it seems like the guy's got his hand on the front of the gun and the hand on the pistol grip and is not holding it to his shoulder. Yeah, I was talking to someone about this and they were, you know, kind of like demonstrating it. Um, how like the gun, it, I guess when you ticks. shoot a rifle. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, 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 exactly right. It, like it, it pivots down mm-hmm. while the muzzle comes up which in in like everybody's listening like, well yeah that muzzle comes up duh but it's not being prevented from climbing with your shoulder because that's a that's a wide flat object on a wide flat object there's a limit to how much vertical upward travel it can have no matter what you are right it's just you're in... go ahead church i'm sorry because i had no, you're good. I mean, I was going to say the same thing you're saying. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's um, like, I guess the only like they kind of do simulate this, but um, like your gun, sh- your gun should be moving backwards into your shoulder and then your shoulder and upper tor- torso should be moving with that force mm-hmm. a bit. And then that would be like the slight rise in the um, the uh, the the muzzle because you, you know, sort of have that shooter stance where you're kind of like hunch for just a tiny bit into the gun um and i think that's where like a lot of people say like oh you know the m4 has too much recoil because it goes <laughs> straight vertically but i don't know that's just like i don't know how else you would simulate that in a way that's like not you know so this is where I'll, I'll actually defend yeah. auto compensation for recoil now so <gasps> yeah right how dare you I know, right? Blasphemy. Blasphemy! Um, yes, for the most part, the shooter is controlling recoil as far as mm-hmm. like how it operates and yada, yada, yada. With pistols, that is absolutely true because you only have like one or one and a half points of contact on a pistol, right? You're gripping it mm-hmm. by the bottom and it's using your, your wrist and your, your fingers and whatnot as a fulcrum versus a rifle. You have a lot of leverage because your your shooting arm is extended further way out, and your control hand is back on the pistol grip, and then you've mm-hmm. got a third point of contact on your shoulder. Right. You're controlling the recoil with your stance, not with your muscles so much, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Now, do you get an added layer if you're, you know, like a beast, like a <laughs> seven foot tall giant shooting an M4? Yeah, my friend Bard, for example, can legitimately one hand an M4 and get it on target every single time at a very high cadence because that man's like biceps are as thick as my thighs Mm -hmm. so it's not an issue for him but when he you know tucks it in and shoots right 
he just holds it there. There's, there's not a whole lot to it. You just put a little bit of downward pressure, like if you're using thumb of war technique, like we do in Tarkov, you just do a little bit of force, and guess what? 80% of the recoil is suddenly gone. Mm-hmm. It's funny, because I've actually done that with new shooters. Um, I was teaching a couple people how to shoot at the range, because they were having some issues and whatnot, and we're like, hey, can you help? And it was just that. It's like, okay, here's widen your stance a little bit, roll your shoulder into it a little bit, put a little bit of force right here, and then suddenly they were just 50 yards, ding, 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 ding. Like, hey, look, I can do it. It's like, yeah, everybody can do it. It's not that hard. <laughs> right. Versus before, they were, like, firing, and you could, like, visibly watch the muzzle rise, like, six inches. It's like, Ugh. It's very interesting yeah. that you say that. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting that you say that. I'm actually very pleased that you said the thing about pistols because it kind of is what I was going to say, sort of. So that sort of validated my, my opinion on it in some ways, which was that, you know, we, again, we talked about hidden stats before. And yes, they're hidden and you don't normally get to see them, but they are important because they are the reason. Well, I say the reason, but they're, they're how BSG have modeled. All of these things, right? Yes. Like all weapons have these this combination of visible and invisible stats. And in my opinion, this is what I was going to say, I think that the model works very well for pistols for this precise reason, right? They have very high recoil, but they also have a, a very high return, this convergence number, right? The return to center. But right. what they need to do is that I almost feel that they need to be two distinct models because the rifles, as you say, it doesn't make sense to have, like it's as if everything pivots around the right hand um and so if you're shooting a pistol it pivots around here if you're firing a rifle it shouldn't pivot here it should it should be pivoting here and it would make everything feel a lot more sensible so they almost need the model sort of needs to be tweaked a little bit to bring that pivot point further back on on weapons that are actually locked into your shoulder correctly um and then and then it would probably make a bit more sense because the thing is it's it's not like it's not too bad unless you look at it really closely but given the higher recoil this wipe i think this is why people have noticed it now but i just think yeah that model is not quite right and, that, and then because they've just sort of made this blanket tweak as well it's then made some some strange adjustments to camera recoil as well that they maybe not not tweaked properly if anyone's used the uh, mpx this wipe um it's it's very very bizarre where you've got camera and and weapon sort of almost acting independently which is a bit strange because again it's if you've got a weapon with a stock on it really those two things are kind of locked together especially if you're you we always have the weapon shouldered and point fire is the the least accurate fire that you can do in this game um it's not like you're actually firing from the hip or anything where a a large amount of, of recoil would probably make sense so it's it's interesting. I just think that they need to tweak that model, but I do think it works really, really well for pistols. And probably it's quite it's actually quite close. They just need to change maybe where the pivot points function and and sort of tighten up some of the camera recall things. And then I think it might actually feel better for people. I agree hundred percent on that. Like, and, and it makes all the other like implementation make sense then because now again auto compensation. If you get like three or four rounds. And then your shoulder stops that gun pretty much from coming about the rest of the way because it's mechanically locked to your body, basically. Mm. Your cheek is on the stock, your shoulder's there. The gun doesn't just fly out of your hands unless you've got, like, no grip strength whatsoever. And again, harken back to the beginning of this conversation, right. we're PMCs. We, we have chosen to wield a weapon for our paycheck. If you're, if you're not, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. These people know how to handle a gun. Right. right. No, they're, 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 it's not their first rodeo, hopefully. 
that would suck. <laughs> so basically, you're you're saying that eventually, you know, after like three to four shots, the gun really can't go. It's reached its maximum tilt. You're you're. It's gonna be a. It's not the. It's not exponential. It's the other way. It, it, it loses the amount of movement it can do over time. Like you get one shot, two shot, three I shot, and then slowly you kind of peter off exactly how far up you can go. Now, if you if you're really loose with your body posture and stuff like that, then absolutely mm-hmm. the gun's just gonna go everywhere. And that's only speaking on horizontal or uh, vertical. Horizontal is where most people who actually shoot full auto struggle with because it is much harder to lock in the horizontal plane, the left and right spread of a gun mm-hmm. than it is the vertical because vertical is controlled with your shoulder and that downward pressure. Left and right is your floppy little wrist dangling in the back holding on to the trigger for your life. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting because that, that reminds me again of a conversation that me and Tao actually had because I was talking at one point, I think it was maybe on the podcast about using, or maybe it was on stream, I'm not sure, but about using the ACP vector yep. and um, about some of the, because that's actually on the hidden stats, it's actually got quite a bad horizontal recoil and you can you can feel it when you try to use that weapon and um yeah tower you did send me some um some videos of, of people actually trying to use it in in real life and and struggling to control the horizontal for exactly that reason right that the weapon almost sort of takes on like a, a harmonic nature of its own as it mm-hmm. vibrates from side to side partly because the rpm is so high um and the vertical i mean it's quite funny because the first set of testing that the guys did in the video they um were trying to do what you would usually do i think just out of muscle memory and lean into the weapon and they end up shooting underneath where they're supposed to be going because they were like you really don't have to control vertical really at all on this weapon and so they ended up firing low and once they got used to that then it was really just a case of trying to control this horizontal but it was very difficult for it to to go away um which was interesting because i was wondering whether that was a, a realistic implementation and then here's this video basically saying yeah look it's, it's it's hard to control right like if you've got super high rpm guns that vibrate all over the place you will get a horizontal spray it's, it's there's not really much you can do about it to talk a little bit about those videos, these aren't like inexperienced shooters either. The the guy uh, Beef was watching is a master class three gun shooter. This dude literally is at the top of the game as far as like being able to control recoil and stuff. And when you watch the other videos, it shows exactly. And then here he is, like at, at like five yards, having like eight inches of spread between rounds, just because of the the way the gun walks. It's like what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating, and I think in in that they were basically saying that you it, the it gets really bad after about three rounds, and it's interesting because the three round burst is implemented on the vector, right? And that's kind of really what it was for is for firing off a, a couple of rounds. It's not designed for just mag dumping into into rooms or targets or people or whatever, because the thing just like it's a crazy beast and it vibrates like like you know anything, and um, you're not really supposed to just empty a mag like that. So it's it's, it's interesting. It's, it's good to see that they are trying to take these things into account. I wonder if the BSG team have actually used the those vectors and, and things like that. I imagine it would be quite difficult to even just get hold of one. And I don't know how you would go about trying to use a vector and get get range time with one. Um, I know my local range has one, but I'm in the US, so that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Nikita has mentioned before about the I don't know, he always kind of looked up to the States in terms of its you know, ease of access of these things and stuff. And he said that, yeah, you know, you can go to get various you know, Eastern guns um, in 
over where they are, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of weapons that they don't get access to. Or it's difficult to to get that kind of access to just because of that that divide. So yeah, I kind of I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe they maybe they went on a field trip or something. Who knows? But um, it also speaks a lot to how much research they do into this stuff, though. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Which I think gets uh, underappreciated by the community substantially. Yeah, I agree. Um, and even just the way that they, just the, how they go into detail with stuff like the, I, the revolvers implementation is one of the. Again, people asking, "Oh, when's revolvers? When, when's revolvers?" But the more you look into it and just seeing the implementation that they have put in place, you think, "God, I can see why it took them so long to make it work and getting all the animations right and all of this stuff." Like it's completely insane. The ability to you can turn the cylinder and close it back in again you can fire one and then have one um one shell be removed and replaced or all of them if you do the, the quick reload like it's it's actually it's actually crazy like now you can actually play and i've seen a couple of clips of this you can play russian ruler in tarkov now properly and spin the you know you spin the uh the drum around so that you don't know where it is and then people pass the gun back and forth like i've seen some hilarious clips but now that's even possible because they've realist implemented the thing which is insane and they didn't need to do this it's the same thing with all the weapons jam animations they did not need to do that the game is i don't know for most people probably more annoying with this in the game but they they wanted it and they wanted to put that in and i think whenever when people ever question bsg's motives about the game and things like that they should remember these things which are they're not necessary for a complete game they're not necessary to get to 1.0 but they have these like red lines that they want this stuff implemented in the way that they want it done. Like, can you, can you even, like, I can't even fathom the amount of work it's taken them to implement the full stoppages um, set of code. Like, it's, it's crazy. Every gun has its own unique animations for all the stoppages. Like, it's, it's mental. It's actually mental. And that's only one of the stoppages. Cause, like, I think all we have right now is failure to extract. I think is basically it, where stove pipes or like sticks out the side or something like that, or a misfire, like where just the hammer falls through and it doesn't hit the primer hard enough or stuff like that. There are any number of inimaginable ways that you can have a stupid malfunction. Like my my favorite malfunction on the M4 example is where it's a combination of a bolt issue and a magazine issue, where you go to extract a round, right? And it, like, kind of gets the round out. So, like, the brass is sticking out the chamber just a little bit. And it's just enough room for a round to pop up underneath of it. And as it's going forward, it kicks the live round up into the gas port and tries to cram the de- uh, the spent cartridge back into the chamber. Oh, wow. And it locks the gun up entirely because you can't pull the charging handle anymore because <laughs> that round is forced against the gas tube. But you can't do anything else. It, it sucks so bad. You actually have to push the bolt, like, take a pocket knife, push the bolt forward to relieve pressure on the cartridge on the top, shake that cartridge out, and then extract the bad round. Could you imagine trying to do that in Tarkov? Yeah, that's kind of insane. It's just like, fuck! <laughs> I do remember, to be fair, actually, one the one advantage of um, some of our cadet training back in the day was some... We did have some epic stoppages because... What we had was, um, I can't even remember what it was called now. I think it was called the L98. And it was a, a converted version of the SA80 to make it, um, it made it, I don't even know, well, how would you describe this? It was, you had to, uh, yeah, no, I guess, I guess it was every single round you had to um, 
You had to cock the weapon basically every single round because there was no gas mechanism. Manual. A manual load. Yeah, okay, exactly. So it's, so it's a manual load. Um, but because you basically like giving all of these weapons that now have no gas parts are incredibly heavy because it's based on the SA-80 and are probably the army reject weapons in the first place. And you're giving them to, you know, 14-year-olds who are doing drill practice with um, with like empty yeah empty casings or whatever just to try and like get this stuff to work a lot of people just could they just could not cock the weapon correctly and if you don't if you're not if you're not swift with that you end up with exactly that you end up with like three different cartridges like stuck inside the mechanism and then you can't you can't pull it back anymore because there's there's just like there's just loads of them all just rammed in there and you have to do all sorts of like unholy magic to like take the mag out and like be like sticking stuff up to try and get them to fall down through the the uh, the mag port and stuff i do remember those those days quite fondly it was quite funny um See, but yeah i don't even know how you do that in tarkov it'd be it'd be crazy i can't wait for failure to extract to happen to where the case is stuck in the chamber but the bolt has let go of it so the round is <laughs> like sitting there stuck inside the gun still those are hilarious <laughs> that's where you see the guys like take the m4 and take the buttstock and beat it on the ground while trying to mm. wrap the charging hammer where they mortar mm. the guns yeah, yeah, yeah significantly easier to do on an ak uh but just imagine you're like you're in a firefight or you're observing a firefight in my case and you just see a guy like run around a corner and just start beating his gun against the wall going come on extract <laughs> and we we joke about this but those moments in tarkov while extremely frustrating are also some of the most hilarious in most tarkov moments mm-hmm. like i remember i was in a fight with a guy a pistoling right and he stopped shooting like three rounds in and it, like we both paused for a second and i shot him in the face because like i expected to be dead because he got the drop on me yeah and he expected to kill me because he got the drop on me and I go and I pick up his gun and there's a cartridge sticking out the top of his pistol. And I just help <laughs> die laughing. <laughs> I had an almost exact same um, same experience in Gate 3 on Factory. I think so, they were trying to extract and I was chasing them, to be fair. And they turned around and they fired one round of the shotgun and then that was it. And then I killed them. And I picked up the gun and exactly that. There's just this huge shell just stuck out the side. I'm like, oh, I see. I see what happened here. Um, poor guy. You know, he's just trying to How extract. How unfortunate. And- yeah, exactly. And he's had a failure right at the end as he's trying to leave, as someone is bearing down on him through the gate three door. Oh, my God. Oh, good times. Yeah, you're right. You know, it adds that element of uncertainty. And some people don't like it because it's... I think it's Tarkov's not competitive in that sense, right? It's like random stuff happens and it's about how you deal with it and whether you're expecting those things or not. And uh, and sometimes, as I keep coming back to what Nikita said on the other podcast when he was talking about various things that they were doing, where he just said, Sometimes you just suck, and yep. that's that. You know, sometimes it just it just happens. It's not a perfect clean sandbox to play in. Like, yeah, if you want if you want that, you can go play CS or something where the, you don't have all these random things. Right? It's very very knowable, very analytic, very precise. You know exactly where everyone spawns, all the angles. You know, you can pixel peek like two pixels through. You know, there's there's spots like that on Tarkov and stuff. But you know, it's it's more chaotic than a lot of other games because of all the random different factors and scavs here and you've got stoppages there and random stuff that happens. It's uh, it's cool. I like it. I like the way people adapt to these things. It's funny. And as you say, it makes good moments too. So it's decent. I really, really, really want to talk about Marauders and like switch up topics. Sure. Have either of you guys seen or heard about this game? I have heard about it just because 
it's very difficult not to have heard about it okay. um, because everyone's bored of Tarkov and um, and everyone seems to be playing it. I have not actually seen really anything of it. I have seen it. Uh, I actually first heard about it when it was first released. Uh, and it's recently come back on my radar. One second, I'll be back my daughter, you know, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, I want to say I, I do remember like someone like a rock tick posting a video about it like a year ago or something. Really? I don't know. Maybe I, it was like an... It didn't even come into my radar. Yeah, well, I remember seeing it. I mean, I, I, I yeah, and it was just like, it kind of looks like the same, but... Maybe it was like in like clothes pre 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 alpha or something. <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, I've I've been playing it and mm-hmm. um it's pretty fun. It's basically Tarkov. Like the the I shouldn't say that. <sighs> Everyone's gonna be like, Ree! <laughs> it's the Tarkov formula, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you ex looter sh- shooter extraction gameplay, you know, you you spawn in on the map, you loot stuff, you shoot stuff, you extract, and then you have the separate game, which is your inventory management, your stash, and your quests with traders and upgrades. It's based basically the Tarkov formula, right? But like the cycle as well, right? You, exactly. Yeah. 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 And um the one twist though to it is that there's space combat. So this is the really interesting part because it really like shakes things up a bit on on that. I don't know. It's kind of weird too because sometimes it's just like like annoying. But anyways, so everyone spawns in on the 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 in space in their ships, and then there's different like events and maps, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, so like in the center map, there's usually uh the the main map where you dock your ship and then you can like open up your airlocks and go inside and play the actual map and then leave right. the stuff and, and get out right and then when you when you leave the dock there's like two extracts on either side of the space map and um yeah you just fly into them like a little metal thing of a cylinder and a wormhole looks like a butthole but anyways <laughs> you go in and you leave the map and then you're back in your stash right However, there are like NPC ships and I don't I'm I know you can board one of them. And this this is the interesting part of it. So when it comes to the the space part, you have your crew which if you're playing solo it's just you and you can you you you're physically in the ship and you can like move around stuff and and it's um, there's escape pods you can take, but little, but the main thing, of course, is the these viewports that you can look out if you're like a passenger and see what's happening outside in space. And you got the gun that you can, you know, operate and use the the, the mounting gun on, on your spaceship, and then of course the pilot piloting mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you get into space combat, your ship takes damage, right? And it can only take so much damage before it reaches a threshold where you're like demobilize i think you have some mobility but just not the main engine or whatever and then from there on afterwards any damage your ships takes you then take as the player right so you could like potentially die in your ship but there's sort of like two ways around that you could um you know uh, dismount whatever you're operating and then go and grab the fire extinguisher and go down to the engine room and then fire 
you know, put out the fires. <laughs> it's very gamey, but that's how you would like heal your ship back up, which is pretty cool. Um, it's sort of like kind of like favors bigger crews, which is interesting. And then, um, the other part, you have escape pods where you like literally open up the escape pod, you jump in, it plays the animation, but during this time, like you can still take damage and then you like just burst out of your, your ship and then you can fly around and then like, board other ships you basically like burst in other ships and you literally like spawn inside their ship and explosion happens and you're just like there inside their ship dude it's crazy dude so so it's crazy let me let me get this straight right so your ship is like your stash though in normal target or your hideout no 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 okay so where's where's your actual hideout where's where's your stuff stored a menu like tarkov (laughs) a menu like tarkov but like is that how how does that exactly function but like you have so no matter where you are you can access it kind of thing well you have an inventory system unfortunately church is now dead well let's just we can just we can just pause for a minute and uh wait for wait for him to return he was he was monologuing about marauders have you played it at all i've not played it however i've seen a lot of gameplay of it um it it definitely speaks to me as a raid based session shooter game, uh, mm-hmm. which is the genre I'm going to call Tarkov from now on. I'm stealing that from Jesse. Um, raid based shooter. Raid based shooter. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, it, it, it's it. I hate this because it's it's more of like the gaming industry as a whole more than anything than any than this game in particular. But it's got a lot of good ideas. It does. It's good. It's got a lot of. It's got a lot of good ideas. I'll see it in seven years. Because <laughs> the thing is, the cycle has um, has lots of good ideas as as well. And I I do like when there are new games coming out in this genre that are trying different things or interesting things. So that's always good. But what exactly? So from what you've seen, what new ideas do they have that pique your interest? Let's put it that way. So it's it's pretty much all very close in combat. It's like fighting on a submarine for the most part, which I really enjoy as far mm-hmm. as like a combat aspect. I think that it it really it takes factory as a concept. It makes that the focus. I and there's see. an entire subgenre of Tarkov players that only play tar- uh, factory. Yeah. I, I slowly feel over time that I start to become more like that, but <laughs> I, I like it, factory is such a unique experience. Like I even just run factory occasionally. I'll just, I'll grab an AKM or AK 74 load two mags of BS and just run through it. It's so good. It is. And it's, it's like, it's the hit button, receive reward, hit button, receive reward, hit button, receive death. You know, it's, mm-hmm. that's just all it is. <laughs> yeah, the fruit machine of of, uh, of Tarkov, the slot machine of Tarkov. <laughs> yeah, it's like head eyes, two thick kits. You know, <laughs> I love it. Uh, but it's always it's always just a, a unique experience, and that's what Marauder does really well. I think. Okay, I think that they interesting. They're packaging it in a in a very artistic way that's really interesting. Um. Yes, that's also cool. It does have the self-wipe system, kind of this prestige mechanism and whatnot, which is always interesting and cool, because if you want to do that, you can do that. Mm. Um, 
But yes. as far as like any new ideas, I don't really think it does anything super new except for packaging it in a new orientation. The aesthetics are nice. You get, you know, World War II guns in space, you know, the future punk kind of aesthetic, which is always interesting. That's cool. Um, it doesn't take itself too super seriously. <laughs> it has fun with its concept, which is good. Um, and in the gameplay, from what I can tell, seems like it, it, it delivers on what it's trying to do. And I think it's going to be a great game in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, that sounds interesting. Because the thing about for, for these games coming out, the interesting thing for me is just seeing like what people changed, what's new, what's different. And I think the cycle thing for most part, people were like, it's the way the raid session functions, right? You're you're in, uh-huh. you're out, and it's just this one continuous raid. And so it feels really fluid and there's no loading times. And it's just such a different thing to, to EFT. But um, Marauders works in a very similar way, I guess. Like you queue in and you load in and then everyone starts at the same time, that kind of thing. That's what I yeah, think so- as well. Church is back. Church is back. Yeah, my PC blue screen. I probably need to downclock my RAM. Anyways. Uh, Yeah, we were just talking about it. Tyler's seen a bunch of uh, Marauders gameplay, and we were just Mm -hmm. discussing the formula and how it's very similar to Tarkov, but um, I think the main takeaway was that it's almost like factory-style gameplay in essence, but brought in as the full game kind of thing. Definitely in the the um map it's definitely like that very uh close quarter combat the radicomes so to speak yes now the but the one part that i think is kind of the the unique aspect of it is the space combat because i haven't really gotten a lot into it but there's like potential that you can never actually go into the map you could just play out the space section it's like the best way I could describe it is like imagine you're playing Tarkov but to actually get to the map customs you have to like travel in like a caravan to cust- the customs location and there's other people traveling in that same caravan and then once you get in the customs and you play the customs map raid and you want to extract you go to the extract part right like where you came in at you leave and then you get back on the caravan and you got to get back to like your stash so to speak so it's like this extra layer mm-hmm. and then it's like not it's space combat you're flying ships you're breaching other people's ships like and it's really what's i i have again i haven't played enough to like confirm this but i'm kind of like piecing the I, I'll, I'll share one experience so i got breached you get like a notification when you get breached i got into like space combat and i literally just sat in a corner <laughs> and just waited because it's yeah it's really annoying the the it's so close it's literally just like a corridor it's just a bunch of corridors like there's that's all it is that's like the map design it's very very basic but um other people end up boarding as well and they got into a big fight <laughs> and i'm sitting here just like sound whoring trying to wait for the perfect opportunity the sound designing game is also kind of like poo poo but regardless what ends up happening they end up just using my ship, going to the map and docking and just going in, in that way and playing, right? And I didn't find out until, like, it was dead quiet. And I was like, okay, let me, like, creep around and see what's going on. And I see, like, two bodies have been looted. But as I, because the other mechanic is when you 
the captain of your ship, which in this case would be me, but if you're playing a group, it would be like your designated captain. He would have a captain's access key card. And that key card he can use um, to unlock the, uh, what's it called? The, 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 the breach doors of the raid back to the ship. And it's like, so your entrance and extract is um, the same. And it's that one door and everyone has a different door so to mm. speak around the map but you got to have the key card to use it once you're inside the map right like the raid if you will so anyways i ended up just like using my own ship but like the bodies and everything they were persistent on my ship so you can have like these crazy like you could just get into like a bunch of different space battles and like have all this loot scattered around different ships i don't know it's 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 a kind of an interesting twist but more or less yes very like Tarkov cloney and in, in terms of like the raw you know game idea if you will. yeah what's the um i always think about this what's kind of like the bottom end mechanic so say you you go in you die a bunch you've lost all your stuff you have a ship then you have to eject like the, what, what happens like what, what's the where's the bottom out can you just get stuck how, how does it how does that function because in tarkov scav runs really fix that problem right and right. It, maybe you could do a hatchet run or something maybe and find some weapon crates but for the average player who doesn't know how to navigate around the scavs and find the boxes and get out and da da da. Scav runs are really that um, that sort of safety net at the bottom. Like, how does that function in Marauders? So it's actually really brutal because there is no secure container, <laughs> which I was kind of surprised by because um, there is no scav mode, right? Mm. So it's like, how do you? What do you do? Like, honestly, I've had more success. Um, well, yeah, going in naked than bringing in gear because if you just die, you lose everything. And so how they sort of like combat that is your ship, the rust bucket is like the standard ship that everyone gets. And if your ship gets blown up or you lose it or whatever, you get a new one back every time. So that's like the bottom end, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to upgrade to these like faster, bigger ships or whatever, um, and you lose them and they died and that's, you know, you got to build a new one or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But as far as gear goes, your ship spawns with like two items, maybe three if you're lucky. And sometimes it'll be like a gun, maybe like two pistols. And you only have one pistol slot, so you can only use one and then like put the other pistol in your pocket. I don't know. It's, it's really awkward. Maybe a rig, like a class four armor, and maybe some ammo. Like it's, it's super bare minimum kick. Wow. But I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's, Space it's an interesting scams. game. Yeah. It's, it's, it feels very like, gritty in that aspect because when you go in like there's there's been raids where i go in geared but i can't loot anything i have to kill something and hope they have a backpack or a rig that i can use to then loot stuff like it's it's crazy so it's like yeah when you go on these geared runs and it's like you got like the level one backpack essentially and like you know some crappy level six armor and like a helmet you know you're like yeah i'm i'm really geared or you know maybe like it's just like that's like a really geared run you Mm -hmm. know most of my raids are like i'm going with like a gun maybe some armor and four slots that are my pockets and they're probably and and they're usually full because you need like heals you need ammo you know it's yeah i don't know it's pretty Mm -hmm. pretty scrappy interesting very interesting scabs in space got it yeah (laughs) 
yeah, maybe I'll check it out. I don't know. I almost feel, I don't know. The burnt out of like trying these games is not the way I want to describe it, but I, I feel a lot of the time I just feel like, and this kind of happened with the second um, cycle uh, where I played a couple of raids. I think I played three and I was like, oh, it doesn't really feel any different. I'm just not sure if I can really be bothered with this. Like it's fine, but I'm playing solo in cycle super hard too because it's time to kill. So then when Marauders came out, I was just kind of like, People are playing this Tarkovsky thing, and it's pre-alpha, and like, can I really be bothered? I think it was sort of the. I was a little bit like fatigued by just like Tarkov clone mm-hmm. number three hundred and sixty-five, you know, and it's like, yep. can I even be bothered to check it out? It's like, and, and that's why I just didn't even watch any gameplay or anything. Because I was like, if it's really that great, I'll. I won't be able to escape from it, um, and I'll eventually just have it sort of like shoved upon me, and I'll go, okay, fine, I'll, I'll check it out, but. I've not really been that incentivized. It sounds it does sound interesting. It sounds gritty and and kind of uh, kind of cool with the closer range combat because then I guess a lot of the frustration with Tarkov for new people is you die from all sorts of random places and you don't even know where you're getting shot from when you first start playing. Whereas at least in this, you're close enough that you probably didn't know where they were at least um, and you sort of knew what you did wrong kind of thing. I, I think that's probably the most brutal part about the beginning of Tarkov that it takes you fifty hours just to get into the feedback loop of improvement because until you're at that point you just you go in you take some stuff and you die to someone that you didn't see and you don't know where they were and you're like how you're like how i remember feeling this myself like i'm not really um i kind of maybe i I don't know is this is this is this funny like i'm not really a like go online and go on youtube like guides kind of person like for me myself maybe that's why i like making them i don't know but um I've never really been a, I, I'm much more a like self teach kind of, I know you get like, I actually get some kind of joy out of that anyway, just like figuring stuff out. I just like that kind of thing. Um, so I didn't really look up anything and it was just that, that first, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours, just like so brutal. Cause you're thinking, man, I'm not, I'm just not even getting any better at this. You know, like I've been playing for four weeks and I've been playing a couple of hours a day and I'm just, I'm still, I'm still not even getting into fights. Like I'm just dying. And I don't, I don't know where from. Like, I have no idea where from. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Like, and, and that's the, the problem with, with that is that usually there's some kind of feedback loop that you can say, okay, he was here. I did this. I, pre- I learned for next time. But I do feel that there's this hurdle with Tarkov where you have to get past that certain point at the beginning to start piecing things together because there's so much to do, so much to learn. You're looking at one thing and then you die. And then, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, just, it's just nuts. Um, whereas at least that maybe is shortcuts a little bit because of the close combat gameplay um because in eft you can just get shot from all all kinds of funky places um and especially with the sporting mechanics but that's its whole other topic um so yeah i mean do you, do you see yourself continuing to play like is it how long is it open for well that's the thing the beta is only like for five days like i think it started oh, wow. on the yeah i'm sorry it's a it's a closed alpha let me let me mm. rephrase that because it is very like there was times where i was looting stuff and items were being stacked into a single cell so i had like multiple one cell items in a single cell that were just overlapping each other I'm like oh yeah this is great dude i'm gonna get so fat full of loot can't wait to see what happens when i try to unpack it but anyways uh yeah so it's only for like a couple of days i think it ends i don't even know when it ends it might end today like, i have no idea so okay. i'm kind of like trying to get in it's something new something different mm-hmm. you know um yeah it's kind of I, you know it's funny i had a very similar feeling when the cycle beta phase two came out it's like i played one game i was like nothing's really changed you know what i mean it's like yes like there's been a lot of like 
balancing and bug patches, but that's like very detailed stuff. But like on the surface, yeah. I was like, I don't know. I just really wasn't like feeling it, I guess. I don't know. So um, we'll see. Just something to uh, I thought was a was a kind of an interesting. I, I always like talking about these Tarkov. I do, too, um, to be fair. I do, too. Yeah, who, who's, just... um, who have you been watching, Tower? Like, who, who's been playing it that you've been watching? Uh, mostly Jesse and Veritas, to be honest. Okay. Um, just kind of their perspective. It. I watched a little bit of Neuroctic um, and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. in pretty much anybody that wanders across my dashboard, <laughs> I'll sit down and I'll watch it and be like, yep, yeah, nope, seen this, too. Fair enough, yeah. I guess they'll, they'll probably talk about it in, in their cast. Um, I'm after after Daisy and now Tarkov, I'm extremely jaded as a as a consumer of content. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where I'm just like, no, sorry, it's it's not a finished product. Go away. Yeah, I I, oh, I, I yeah. do know what you mean. I do know what yeah. you mean. Like we've been talking about a little bit about Daisy, and yeah, we don't we won't, we won't go into it, but we're yeah. At least I'm kind of thinking about dabbling again back into it um, it's still it's a work in progress because you have to figure out like where to go what service to play and all that stuff I'm, I'm definitely thinking about it again because i played it years ago and uh tried to play it again recently and it was it was a tough experience playing vanilla so but i think there's this community service that makes sense and a, and a good and, and thing so it's still it's a work in progress but I'd, i'm kind of intrigued to go back to that so that's, and that's the thing for me now i'm, I'm always more excited to go back to some of those old games that have been developed out more the community's got hold of them and they've kind of taken a different direction than i am necessarily like alpha testing a new tarkov clone you know what i mean that's, that's sort of how i'm feeling now maybe that's just because i'm getting older i don't know but uh i feel like that's maybe more interesting i think i've also been burnt quite a few times by pre you know pre-purchase pre-alpha pre-this pre-that pre-the other i mean there was one time especially i mean I don't, we were talking. I mentioned Eve in chat because we were talking about space, and I quite like you know I like space games and things. But I, I normally only play single-player space games. But there's a, a series, the X series, which is um, a fantastic series of games. Actually, the old ones are, are brilliant, and uh, the one I spent most of my time playing was X Three, and it's basically a solo space economic simulator game. Really, so it's got combat, but you can like build stuff. But because you're on your own, it's a much easier environment to kind of control from a development perspective. And they brought um, a new game out called X Rebirth. I think it was and i was like so excited because it has been years since x3 and x3 was fantastic um because i love base building i actually really like base building like as an as an rts player like back in the day like they basically don't exist anymore as a genre but um i love bases like there's nothing you know it's just something that i love i love about that and the it's a bit like building the hideout it's in tarkov right it's like the slow you know you feel like you're making progression and it's something that happens mm. over time anyway this game came out and i pre-ordered it and it was like 35 pounds or something and it was like a complete and utter dog shit like it was so bad the community was ro- really upset and i and i was really upset and I've been waiting for this game for so long. I've been like basically swore off buying anything before. I was just like, I don't even care. Like I can miss a week, two weeks, a month, whatever. Um, I'm just going to wait to see what people say because it's just like, it upset me so much that yeah. I was like, I'm never doing this again. So I, I feel like that has definitely, um, yeah, made me a bit jaded about these these kind of things. I'm like definitely more willing to give up that sort of first look thing for seeing how things go and, and it, it helped me avoid battlefields as well actually yep. so <laughs> um not, you know I, I don't know i think it's the way to go these days especially as producers or developers and and um the gaming industry goes more towards this model i think you have to be much more careful much more savvy as a consumer i think the barrier to entry for game creation has come down so much which is great in some ways but it also means that there's a lot of 
people out there looking for money for stuff that really isn't finished and the incentives for producing a completed game are a lot lower than they used to be you know when you had to ship a playstation 2 game that wasn't connected to the internet and it had to be right when it went out that was very different now where you could have these like day zero patches like stuff's broken and they patch it on, on you know on the very first day we've just seen we've seen so much of it right? we've seen cyberpunk and all sorts of other games that get launched and they're broken and um, no man's sky and things that just have you know games that i actually haven't even ended up bothering playing because of the community outcry and then they say that some of these things are fixed later and now they're great games to play which is great because then maybe i'll one day i'll go back to some of these games and i'll play it when it's fully finished and i'll play it when they've changed the business model in it and that actually makes sense now you know like lots of people have said play no man's sky if you like spacey stuff because now it's really good you know cyberpunk i never bothered with that but now that they've patched it a, a ton i've not really done much research into it because i don't usually play that many um, of that type of game but Maybe it's something that, again, I, I look back into in the future and enjoy it much more than everybody who just cried on day one because it sucked. Um, I just think you have to be a lot more savvy now as a consumer of video games. Seven years. Seven years from my orders? Seven, se- seven years. Just flat rule. Seven years, <laughs> then I'll play it. <laughs> I think to be fair, though, the expectations for video games have just grown and grown and grown. I mean, the... You can buy a AAA game for sixty bucks, and the the graphical leap and the the scope. Like I think No Man's Sky is a good example because the scope of what they were trying to do was like kind of insane for the time. Mm. And yeah, they didn't deliver, but at the same time, it's like I don't know. I think that's the nice thing about Tarkov's um, monetization is that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's, I don't know. They're, they're in some ways, Tarkov has lowered my expectations. You know what I mean? Like when I <laughs> played the Marauders, I basically was like, I've played Tarkov before, you know, I can handle a few bugs. <laughs> it's weird, but there is, um, I, I do feel like the video games industry, there's probably going to be a shift at some point because they can't possibly keep selling these games for 60 bucks and putting in more and more hours mm. um like the 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 work these people do is just like kind of insane or or i don't know the compensation like it's just like there's there's kind of an issue there like i really think service game that's like what i love about service games is they can keep producing content keep updating the game and also throw in you know have an art department that does cosmetics or whatever. And then people that maybe, you know, maybe 90% of the cells are like 2% of the population. That's like, or the, the consumers, that's the whales or whatever, but let them spend the money, you know, and fund whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I really, I like that model more because it's just like, it kind of like incentivize, it, it does incentivize some, you know, like, Hey, we're doing an update and it's just like, here's a bunch of new things you can spend money on. Um, hmm. so there is a bit of that too, but, Anyways, yeah. Have you played? Stuff. Have you played Door Kickers two yet, Giga? I have not. I've not played Door Kickers one. Uh, Door Kickers two is worth a look. Door Kickers one's a little dated, um, but Door Kickers is a over the top strategy game shooter. I and think I have focused, seen it. It is focused it, but... on room clearing and stuff, and it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. You can actually learn a lot about like how to play Tarkov from that game, actually. Mm. They're like slicing the pie and that kind of thing, like looking around mm-hmm. doors and that stuff. Yeah, that that would that maybe it was worth a check actually. 
it would be good. I've, I've, def- I've seen, I can't remember where I saw it, but I've, I've seen it. And maybe I've just seen pictures where I've seen like a very short clip or something. Um, so I'm, I'm broadly aware of its existence, but I've never played. But, uh, okay, I'll put it on the radar. Put it on the radar. It's one of those games I play when I'm angry at Tarkov. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other one, um, the other game that I'm actually intrigued to play at some point is, um, is Stalker. I've never played Stalker um, ah. because it's so intrinsically linked to kind of the inspiration of Tarkov and as people say there's like um this is like this is the one you can get which got kind of like everything in it or something there's like one that people recommend to play in particular that everyone says is like super good um, that's Stalker Anomaly that's the one that people talk about that I've heard people talk about a lot and uh, so I've, I would like to play that at some point because yeah it's, it seems sort of like the of all the games that is the most inspirational for Tarkov I think because setting wise right Stalker is probably it um from what I've what I've been told so and that would be that would be good. This, that, that one's also on the the bucket list of things to do. Uh, Stalker is the reason why I'm constantly like irritated at Tarkov's gameplay. Loop, <laughs> to be to be honest, it's like, and I think that's the case with a lot of older veteran players as well. Is like, I go in ex- in expecting Stalker mm. because the vibe and the aesthetic, and I come out with Call of Duty Light. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like mm, no. Hmm. Well, at least something like that exists, so maybe they'll end up getting closer to that as time goes on. I don't know. There's something to aspire to, at least. Indeed. Well, thanks, uh, thanks, Tara, for coming on today on the show. Yeah, oh, I'm glad you all had me. Sorry, I wasn't too terribly interesting. Uh, my baby sort of got delayed, so background noise. Ah, oh, it's, it's, uh, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, you were you were super interesting. It's it's been good to have you on. I've yeah, if we want to speak to you about some of this stuff, I mean, this is the thing. There's there's endless topics. There's like there's even more. So you know, we'll, we'll have to uh, we'll have to do it again at some point because uh, yeah, it's always good getting someone's um, view from a slightly different angle. You know, a different slice mm-hmm. onto onto EFT um, rather than just like all of us gamers. You know, you get, you get a bit of a different viewpoint, which is which is always interesting. And um, someone who maybe appreciates some of the yeah, the, the details about what BSG are actually trying to do and like why they might be trying to do these things. So no, it is fascinating. Yeah, so thank, yeah, thank you for making the time and coming on with us. It's been it's been good. It's been good. I appreciate you having me. Like I said, uh, yeah, yell at me if you need anything. Cool. And with that, we'll catch you guys next week. Catch you later. <laughs>